Internet, it's that time again. Yep, a new episode on deck. Let me tell you something. I'm so, I'm so happy, so thrilled, so excited, so thankful, so blessed at all the love for last week's episode, the Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk episode. Man, that was a big deal that we got Gary, man. A good dude, and I respect him, and I'm, I'm honored that he respects me. I, w- I love that we had a chance to just chop it up about a couple of different things besides entrepreneurship. And a couple other things that he doesn't usually talk about all the time and get deep into, which is parenting. You know, I love talking about parenting. It's important that we do continue to talk about parenting because there's no booklet on how to be a parent. We just shoot from our heart. Let me tell you something. I want you to continue to suggest an episode, okay? If you're listening and you know of an episode that could help a homie out or help a girl out or a guy out or a friend or an uncle or a cousin or a next-door neighbor, then do that. Like if that, like a lot of people love that Jason Maiden episode. If you're somebody who wants to become a designer or get into Silicon Valley and tech, send them that Jason Maiden episode. If you're somebody that wants to learn about producing, we got the Buck Wild, we got the Pete Rock. If you're somebody that wants to do entrepreneurship, man, there's tons. So whatever category you feel there's somebody in, okay, that they can learn something from an episode that we did, send it to them. Listen, you don't put somebody on, then what are you really doing? I always say that. Leave a legacy behind. Give people information to to succeed. Give people knowledge and, and gems so that they can use in their life. Let me tell you something, okay? You know I've been fucking with the Netflix. Yes, I told you Goodfellas is back on Netflix. I can't believe I'm watching it like every other day now, more than, more than ever. Just leave it in the cut. But that Chris Rock fucking show on Netflix, man, had me in tears. Let me tell you something, when he was talking about, like, relationships, that shit had me dying. Like, you know, just talking about how many years he had been married and the divorce and the kids. And listen, if you haven't seen that, that <laughs> if you haven't seen that fucking Chris Rock uh, uh, special on Netflix, watch it, man. That shit is funny. I feel like dude has always found a way to tell the fucking truth. And it'd be the truth, but it'd be fucking funny, man. And, and he's dropping gems. I love anything. When somebody's dropping gems. Okay, you know what time it is. Whenever I tell you, you know what time it is, it's time to check the fuck in. I love it. I appreciate it. Okay? But when I say check in, open up your Twitter app. Open up your Instagram app. At Premium Pete. At the Premium Pete Show. Let me know where the fuck you... Where are you listening from? Okay? Man, I say this all the time. And I'm going to continue to say it because I'm that thankful. Russia. And fucking and and London and Paris and Hong Kong and and all across the United States checking in every week, man. You're appreciated, man. Continue to tell a friend to tell a friend. Continue to subscribe to us. Continue to leave a comment. Rate. Listen. Go on iTunes. Rate. Leave a comment, man. I don't care what you say on there, but leave a comment. Leave a comment on SoundCloud. Wherever you listen to your podcast platforms, but check in and let me know where you're checking in from, so I can shout you out, man. At Premium Pete, at the Premium Pete Show. Let me tell you, okay, it doesn't stop, and it'll never stop. In the words of our brother, Reggio Say, a.k.a. Combat Jack, we miss you, we love you, we'll never forget you. And we know it never stops, and we have to continue to raise the bar. Let me tell you something. This week's episode is the live Premium Pete Show in Houston, at WeWork in Houston. Man, of course, if I... Well, Internet, if you know... I got love for Houston. If you don't know, oh, I got love for Houston. I had to bring out the city. Brought out the one and only former mayor of Houston, Anise Parker. 
the legendary, the ghetto boy, Willie D, my brother, Bun B, and his wife, Queenie. And also bring out the one and only former judge, former lawyer, former cop, just a real man, Charles Big Angry Adams, along with the legendary Zero. Houston was, the city was in, listen, okay? You understand? Live Premium Pete Show in Houston. Let's get to it, man. Cheer. Come on, everybody, get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, this is the live episode that we did in Houston. Man, I love being on tour and visiting different cities, Touching down, checking out the internets, tasting the food, just just really politicking. I want to thank WeWork for teaming up with me and, and touring. We made so many stops. This was done um, right before the new year, and it was it was really special. Houston is something that is is just really special to me, man. Like like for a Brooklyn kid, I have so many great relationships in Houston. That Southern hospitality is super real. A lot of my friends there are just good people, and it it made it, it just made so much sense to go down to Houston and do a live premium peach show. Now let me tell you something. Shouts to WeWork again. Shouts to my guy Eric Morgan, man, official dude. Shouts to Ronnie and uh, Henry, and I mean and Robin, man. Shouts to shouts to the whole WeWork Houston team. Go check them out if you're ever in town, or if you if you live there, check them out for sure. Okay. I want to shout out my guy DJ Demo on the ones and twos providing the sounds for the night. Man, it was special. It was really a special night. And when I came to Houston, I had to bring out friends and family. I had to bring out people that I admire. Man, it, like, it, there ain't nothing like being on tour, man. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to be doing a lot more of that this year, especially with WeWork. So stay tuned for announcements of Premium Peach Show Live coming to your city. And when we come to your city, it's not just a live podcast. You're going to have sounds, make you dance, foods for you to eat, drinks for you to sip on, giveaways, raffles. And, of course, I'm going to bring out, I'm going to bring out people from your city when I, touch, when, I, when I touch down, for sure. Let me tell you something. I was so honored to bring on this next guest on the live Premium P Show in Houston, the former mayor of Houston, Anise Parker. I mean, like, yo, honestly, like, I want to be really, really honest with you. For a kid that grew up in Brooklyn, just loving hip-hop, loving graffiti, loving just, just just loving streetwear, loving sneakers, to come to a point where, you know, just lived his life and, and you know, made a mistake and, and, and had to pay for it and go away, came home, changed my life around, to be honest with you, to be sitting down with the mayor, the former mayor of Houston, like any type of mayor, I never thought that would be a possibility. I loved Denise Parker when she was the mayor of Houston. Such a, you know, what I loved about her the most is that she would always come to everything for Bun. I was called Bun, and a lot of people called Bun the mayor of Houston, and she was the mayor of Houston. So I was like, oh, both of the mayors are here. I always used to say that, and 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 she was just so dope, and and just really somebody who who really cared about the city, 
and cared about everybody in it, whether that be, you know, if you're a rapper, an artist, an athlete, just a, just a, just a, a regular human being. Man, Internet's man, it, it, we, we got into so much stuff. What it takes to be a mayor. You know, her thoughts on, on, on you know, uh, Trumpito, uh, Donald Trump, hip-hop in Houston, work life after being the mayor, the Astros winning the World Series, and advice to people thinking about running for office. So many good Q&As, so many good people in the building. Man, I want to shout out my guy Marco from Houston. He took some ill pitches. My guy Ariel. And of course, I want to thank my sponsors and friends. Grillo's Pickles, best pickles in the game. Go to grillospickles.com right now. Check them out. Check them out where they're, where they're located in the stores. Trust me. Thank me later. The best shoe cleaner in the game, okay, Jason Mark, jasonmark.com. And, of course, my good friends at the Sneaker Summit. Shouts to everybody. Kadoma, Adrian, um, Ralph G, man, DJ O'Cliff, man. So many, so many people. But, Internets, let's get to the one and only, the former mayor of Houston, Anise Parker, live on the Premium Pete Show in Houston. Cheer. So, thanks for taking the time to come here. Uh, this is like the second day of WeWork opening in Houston, so it's like, you know, a lot of people don't even know what WeWork is. I didn't know what it was, so I'm glad I'm, glad I'm here. I'm glad you invited me. Well, listen, it's a special place, and if you're here, it's even more special. Right off the bat for people listening, because obviously people are listening live, and then later on date, people are going to be listening from wherever. What does it take to be a mayor? That's a oh, that's big actually, question. No, 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 no. It's actually pretty easy. You, you have to love your city. And you have to be in love with your city. And you have to love the people in the city or you couldn't do it. Uh, you also have to have some political chops and <laughs> the, uh, the ability to, to win the office. But mayors are uniquely the, the public face and voice of their, their cities. And you get, you're identified with your city. And if the good things happen, it's on you. And if the bad things happen, it's on you. You know, I always tell people when people have success, sometimes they don't ever take the time to admire the journey like you know the journey is a long process sometimes people who have successful things that happen they don't celebrate them when you found out that you were going to be the mayor of houston did you celebrate like what was your first reaction well of course i celebrated and uh by how is dinner or champagne or uh well unfortunately i had this ballroom full of people waiting for me so i couldn't do too much (laughs) beforehand but uh, actually, it's been a quiet moment with my family mm. because it, it was going to be a huge life change. By the time I, when I was elected mayor, I'd already been in office in other offices for uh, 12 years. But, but mayor was an order of magnitude different. And so went um, went in a quiet room with the person who's now my wife. We've been together 26 years, but we've been married three years. And uh, we had a quiet moment and, and some quiet time with the kids and the family and then came out to the mob. What, now, you know, obviously, if some people may know from Houston or some people listening who may not know, you have been in this city when you were the mayor of Houston getting, you know, just just really rubbing shoulders with people of the culture. What made you want to do that, particularly even like a Bumby or a Slim Thug or like what made you want to get involved and with the culture that we love so much that maybe most mayors may have wouldn't have done? Okay, so I've already confessed this b- before. It, it's, it's not my culture and it's not necessarily my music, but it's, 
It's about making sure that there's a place for everybody in the city. And I, one of the things I love about Bun B is that he's not just about the music. He is about the community. And he's always willing to give back. And we got to know each other because I asked him to help me do a no-texting-while-driving uh, public awareness campaign. And, uh, and we did that. And uh, we just uh, developed a, a relationship. Uh, I had a... After I left office, I had a, a gig at Harvard for three months, and I, I flew Bun up there to, to visit with my students, and he, I was a little shocked. We spent probably 20 minutes him talking about how to buy marijuana products and, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and advising them to be really careful because the food products aren't, aren't regulated. <laughs> I was like, okay, they sent their kids to Harvard, and this is what I'm teaching them. <laughs> but... but uh, you know, we, he had just, when, I, when he came up there, he had just, we'd had uh, floods the, a, a few days before, and, and he'd been working, helping people haul stuff out of their apartments and, and organizing food drives and, and relief efforts. So it's, it's all about connecting to everybody in the community, and everybody has a place and everybody has value. In your time being mayor, what would you say is your most memorable moment? You know, there's there's not one moment. The, the the best part of it being mayor is the night you're you're uh, uh, elected, and it's all downhill. <laughs> and and the the hardest part is uh, for me was was leaving. I, I loved the job, and I missed the job. I don't miss the stress, and I don't miss the midnight phone calls, but I miss being able to make things happen and and uh, directly impact uh, people's lives. So now that you're not mayor no more, what can people know that you're doing? Like, what are you doing with yourself? I'm teaching at Rice University here in Houston. I teach a, a political science class. This is the second time I've taught it. The first semester, I called it, Is Governing Possible? And I'm teaching exactly the same class, but the political science department asked if I would retitle it. And now it's Governing Successfully. Because apparently millennials are turned off by the negative. <laughs> so I had to do something positive to get people to, to, to take my class. Uh, but I'm also working for a large local nonprofit, Baker Ripley. And in fact, uh, I actually was the daytime manager of the NRG shelter after Harvey. So if anybody connected to the, the shelter, uh, so for almost a month, I spent 14 hours a day at uh, the uh, Harvey NRG shelter. When you, you know, you think about it, like, when you think about a mayor, it's a position that not everybody gets to have. It's almost like playing in sports, you know. It's like not everyone can make the NBA or the NFL. If not mayor, if not, you know, being in politics or not, what would you have been, been doing? I honestly don't know because I didn't start out wanting to be in politics. I actually had a career for 20 years in the oil industry in Houston. But I was an active community volunteer and an activist. So I was always working to try to make the community a better place. And it was just an easy step into the first council member, then controller, and then mayor. I didn't start as, as mayor. But a, a political office is a tool. It's not a destination. If you're running for office in order to hold an office, you're in the wrong place. Uh, it's, a, it's a tool that you use to do the kind of things you want to do. You know, um, off air, we were speaking about uh, number 45. And uh, I said, I won't bring up number 45 if you don't want to talk about it. He said, I have no problem. So wh what are your thoughts about, you know, how he's handled himself, how he's even making the country look 
he's an embarrassment to the United States. Every day he is in office, he diminishes the stature of the U.S. Uh, uh, around the world. And as someone who spent 18 years in public life, uh, I'm embarrassed that he's an example of what we think politics should be. It's crazy, too, because, you know, like I was telling you, I'm just amazed at how much he tweets. Like, you know, it's like you would never think that a president would be so like, you think he'd, emotional. You wouldn't think he'd have to, enough time to do all that tweeting. Exactly. I, I, you know, it's something that I, I, I truly am, am lost at words for. But more importantly, um, a it's, lot. It's unpresidential. There's, there are things that I, I tweet. Uh, I started tweeting when I was running for mayor. What, what, and what's your... Uh, Twitter handle. Adonis Parker. Okay. Uh, two N's in Anise. Adonis Parker. And uh, at first, my staff would tweet, and, and I'd put my initials on so people could tell it's, it's me. We, we know it's him. So. <laughs> uh, but, and they, they would say, we want to see the, the real you. The, the whole purpose of tweeting is to, to connect directly. But then I'd get, if I'd start to get snarky, and then my staff would call me up and say, put the phone down, Mayor. Don't, you know, that's. It's too much of the real you. And he hasn't learned that. He hasn't learned the, 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 the filters. And in the positions of authority, you have to be very careful with how you use that. And you can't just pop off uh, at people. But he uses it deliberately to, to try to influence public opinion and to, to, to try to influence and put pressure on other uh, public officials. Sure, he's a bully. You know, um, yeah. Hurricane Harvey... You know, and uh, you think about, you know, everything that. Like, let me tell you something. I'm a Yankee fan. Okay, I'm from New York. I'm sorry I told about you this. that. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about that. This I'm year. sorry, darn. I come Not. off the. I come off the plane. I'm in the airport. It's just home of the you know World Series. I'm like, get out of here, man. Why I got to look at this? <laughs> I mean, you know, our, well, we had we had a tough game. Went to Game Seven. Was amazing. But you know, honestly, with everything that Houston went through, and everyone who lives here. And, and, and the damages and, and the families. And, and I was like, even though sports doesn't equal, you know, real, like, in a sense of real life-like stuff, but it, it, what, what amazing it was for the city. I mean, it, just amazing that. It, it brought the whole city together in, in a way that I don't know that anything else could have. But people need to understand, you're here and we're in a, in a beautiful space and, and we have a great view of the city and we can see downtown from, from where we're sitting and it looks like the city's just fine. But for the people who were impacted by that storm, this is a two to three year recovery. Uh, on the surface, it looks great, but there are people still suffering and a lot of people lost everything and you never, you never truly come back from that. You are actually involved in, in a lot of um, relief, and you know well, the, people may not see you all the time, but you're you're involved. Well, the agency in I, I work for is, is is actually doing a lot of it. We have uh, a huge amount of the long term case management work, but I'd never I visited shelters, uh, and, but I'd never run a a shelter before. But the the direct connection to the people who were coming, and we the the city shelter had. Uh, some 10,000 people come through the doors. Uh, we, I ran the county shelter. We had 7,500 people. And the, the, the stories were amazing. But the, the best part was that for nearly a month of, of running the shelter, it was even uh, people were hurting, people were, were struggling. 
but the 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 way they supported each other and helped each other and the just the the tenacity the grit the the willingness to say all right i'm going to suck it up and go back out there and we're going to we're going to rebuild we're going to do what we need to do it's we, when you live in the you're from you're from new york i'm i was born and reared here in in houston we're in the hurricane belt and you know you're going to have storms you know you're going to have hurricanes sure. you hope it doesn't you hope you're not the one but uh, you know that, and and then Houston is a is a city that floods on a on a regular basis. It's just it's a fact of geography. So we we learn to uh, how to how to rebuild and and start over again. But some of your your listeners may not know Houston's one of the largest refugee resettlement areas in America too. And one in four Houstonians is foreign born. So most of the people who are here came here with very very little and had to start their lives. And uh, this is a place where you can do that. And so the, the storm was a big setback. Sports brought us together, uh, and that was great. But this is a long road to recovery. But we've done it before. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah, God bless. Um, let's, let's make a round of applause for Anise Parker. Thank you. Um, I want to take this time. Isaiah, could we get another mic? I want to take this time to open up a quick Q&A before Anise has to leave. Anybody has a question? And the, um, Isaiah's going to come around with the mic. I actually have a speaking, uh, I'm uh, giving a keynote speech a little bit later tonight, or I'd be happy to hang out. And uh, Yeah, I was hoping to visit. get you one of those Tito's drinks, you know? Yeah. I can't do it before I speak. I'd go right to sleep. Anybody have a question for Anise? Don't be shy. There we go. Uh, my name is Matt Hatfield from, I guess, San Antonio now, uh, Austin before. Um, what is it that you would recommend to anybody who's thinking about politics or thinking about getting involved with the community what is you know I, th- I hear from a lot of people like they want to get involved they don't even know how what would you recommend to anybody who wants to get started in the process well first i would say that everybody has a responsibility to be involved in community and i don't really care what it is whether it's your your church or your mosque or your synagogue or your your pta or your neighborhood association or the local the you know the the local bridge club you have to do something with other people you have to get out and and engage w- with other people and i think we have a responsibility to uh, to devote some of our time to the 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 common good the neighborhood cleanups and and that sort of thing and then for those who are interested in politics I, i've already said it that i my students come up to me and say i want to run for office someday and and my response is so it the office is is not a destination the office is something you use to accomplish your goals and uh if this last election for president of the united states doesn't convince people that elections matter and the choices we make matter i don't know what will um but even on a local level, a lot of people pay attention to what happens at the, the president's level or the federal elections, but lots of people don't vote at the local level. As mayor of Houston, I determine the quality of the water you drink. I determine the training of the police officers who pull you over in the middle of the night. I determine the equipment they use, whether they have a taser or they have uh, uh, a gun. And, and what kind of accountability they may face if they pull that gun. We pick up your trash. We give you your water. We provide the sewage. Everything that impacts your day-to-day life is probably provided by somebody at a municipal level. 
And too many people just don't pay attention at all. Uh, Even not choosing to get involved in community or in politics is a decision. It's a bad decision in my view, but it is a decision, and you have to to live with the consequences. So uh, going back to the original question, connect to community, and then you'll find if you connect to community in this area, you're going to connect in that area, and you're going to keep building uh, a network because you're going to see that there are things that need to be done, and there are other people that want to do it with you, and uh, it builds on itself. I, I'm, I was an active community volunteer for 20 years before I went into politics. My parents were active community volunteers, my grandparents. I learned a phrase not too long ago. It's voluntold. I was voluntold when I was little, and it, and it sinks in. And uh, you create a habit, and it never goes away. Man, Anise Parker, man. That was, that was dope, man. I, I, again, like I said, I'm honored, honored to, to have uh, someone who was the mayor of Houston on the show just just really like, yo, let me tell you something, man. When she got the notice that I wanted to have her on, yes, thank you, Bun, for that. Bun brought me up. It was like, yo, she remembered me, and she came through, and that means a lot, man. Thank you, Anise Parker. Thank you for everything you do for Houston. Thank you for being you. I look forward to seeing you again. Now, let me tell you something. The next guest I brought up at the WeWork is the one and only Charles Big Angry. And Zero, the legendary Zero, man. Let me tell you something. Big Angry is a good dude, man, okay? He's been so many things, has such a smart mind. Um, I believe a Harvard graduate, man, you know, a former cop, former judge, trial lawyer. And he has his own show, man. Him and Zero, man. Come on, man. This dude's, and plus he's a fellow foodie, man. Just really somebody who I admire and somebody who is filled with so much knowledge. And then to sit down with Zero, man, like... Honestly, like, Zero don't talk a lot, man. And he, I'm very honored that he came and sat down with me while I was in Houston and did the live Premium Pete show. I mean, we spoke about the Big Angry and Zero show. We spoke about police quotas. We spoke about how Zero did 22 albums, longevity in hip-hop, the younger rap generation, his most, and, and in Big Angry's most memorable moments as a judge. And Big Angry said that Bum B laid a motherfucker out? Where? Okay, we'll hear about it. Let's get to it. Charles Big Angry and the one and only Zero on the live Premium Pete Show in Houston. Mad people from Houston told me, like, yo, Zero really don't do interviews. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, wh- why is that? Why? People breath be stinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm you good. good. You I'm good. good. Appreciate it. Listen, uh, Big Angry, I might even go on Charles Adams, but I'm going to say Big Angry. For people listening, because, you know, this is live, but also this will turn into an episode. For people listening who don't know Big Angry, I mean, former cop of Houston, former judge in Houston, lawyer, you know, um, amongst many other things. I, sometimes I consider you like an entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, I did. I work for a national firm, but I started my own business because I don't like authority, which... Is the reason so why wait, wait, you were authority, but you don't like authority. I was like anti-authority. You know, I did my thesis at Harvard on ending the war on drugs 17 years ago before ending the war on drugs was cool. You know, when I was a policeman, I didn't arrest people for drugs. I threw that shit away. 
You know, can I say, is it we? Sure, of course, you can say whatever yeah. you want. Me and Zero just left iHeartWare. How many calls we have to dump today? Because every time Zero starts talking to a fan on the radio, they got to say fuck. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> you got to say fuck when you talk hey, about you me. Hey, you can't curse on, I'm sorry, you can't curse on iHeart? Yeah, we can't, we can't curse. It's, hey, it's on AM radio. 2017, man. You know, you should be able to do that. But but speak about even, you went to Harvard. I, I right? did. I, I got my first law degree here while I was working night shift patrol. I got a second law degree at Harvard. Um, I worked for a national firm and then started my own practice, and, and you know, it kind of took off. Um, but the thing is, I like to do different shit. I mean, everybody knows that knows me in the hip-hop community knows how I got to know people. It's because one of my best friends, Queenie Freeman over there, um, we got real cool. And then Bun said, I can't be friends with Queenie if we ain't cool, too. So then me and Bun became friends, and he took me on Gumball, introduced me to this guy, Premium Pete, that has the <laughs> coolest damn you got to eat this website – but my whole thing, my whole life, it's easy to be a lawyer. It's easy to be a white guy. You know, you got to get yourself out of your fucking box and talk to people and be with people. And uh, I mean, it you know, is. You know, and it, angry, it, angry, angry about to set the fucking tone in here, yeah, man. Well, you know? I mean, it's when they gave me my own live, out of radio show, but then they gave me a live radio show. On iHeart. What's the name of the radio uh, it's, show? It's on 950 AM. It's Angry Justice. We are actually, I'll announce it right here. Uh, we're waiting on approval from my heart because we're going to change it to the Big Angry and Zero show. Mm-hmm. Make uh, some noise. Make some noise for that. You know, I, when I got the show, I didn't want to do politics. And that's all talk radio is in Texas, politics. But they said, look, you want a live show, you got to do politics. And I thought, well, how can I, how can I subvert the medium and change it and make it different? Well, I, I asked Zero. You know, uh, super producer Mike Dean had introduced me in Zero in New York. On the Shots night of the Dallas, the Dallas police shootings, we, we chopped it up at his little place in Tribeca, and we sat there talking for four hours. Then Mike and Zero went and did No Justice, No Peace, 6 a.m. They emailed it to me. And, you know, we just kind of sparked a friendship that I thought, you know, I'll bring this guy in, and it'll change what typical political talk radio is because he's got a different perspective. And the whole thing that I'm trying to push is you can be on different ends of the ideological spectrum, you can be on different ends of the color spectrum, and you can still be friends, and you can still see eye to eye, and, you know, not that we don't disagree. We was disagreeing for the last two hours on the radio. I'm sure you are. Zero, you know, we spoke about radio, and I was like, Dan, that's dope that you have another lane, you know what I mean, to go, you know, to, to do what you do. And, and you said sometimes you like it better than, what, you know, rapping or that you don't have to rap? Yeah, it's a, it's a different dynamic. So uh, I don't have to rhyme words and shit like that. So it's cool. I get to speak my mind without having to, you know, worry about somebody uh, critiquing my creativity and shit. So I like that. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, um, I want to get to angry for a second. As a judge, have you ever, like, sentenced someone too harsh that you, like, regretted? Well, I was just a pissant judge. You know, I was just a presiding municipal What does that judge. mean? What does that mean? You know, you got a specter of judges. They all take themselves way too fucking seriously. Um, you know, I, I was a you know I was a municipal judge, and I don't believe in the municipal system of regressive taxation. That's what citations are. Citations are a mechanism not to raise taxes on people that can afford to pay taxes, and they are focused on like I don't believe, and I'll, people will disagree with me. I don't believe in the concept that police officers are out there trying to shoot and kill people based on their skin color. But there is incredible disparity in the war on drugs. There's incredible disparity in citation enforcement. And that's a system of regressive taxation. So me, 
you know, I found a lot of people not guilty because I thought a lot of it was bullshit. But I had a freedom from the, the, the municipality I worked for. I had a freedom. It was, it was South Houston, not Houston, where I was the boss judge. My mayor stood behind me and didn't see it as a scheme to raise funds. And that's what most cities, New York, Houston, it doesn't matter how liberal or conservative you are, cities are balancing budgets instead of raising taxes by targeting people, and unfortunately mainly people of color, to, to, with, with absurd citations. I mean, who, who hadn't been fucking pulled over in the last year and then written ten tickets on some bullshit? You ain't been pulled over because Bun drives you everywhere. You don't count, Queenie. Put that hand down. Queen, you don't count. Let me ask you something. Is that quota in Houston real? Hey, we had a quota when I was a police officer. Hell yeah. I mean, it was if you worked night shift, it was two. If you worked days or evenings, it was five. If you was taking calls, and 20 if you was a traffic unit. Anyone that says different is bullshit. Shit. Fuck, man. <laughs> that, that, that got me thinking. You know, it's funny because it's like sometimes the people deny that a lot. You know, I sat down with a lot of... Even Brooklyn District Attorneys, where they're like, right. oh, that's not true. You know? People don't want to speak the truth. Uh, there, there you go. There you go. Listen, Zero, 21 albums. Is that true? That's a lot of shit. What the fuck are you talking about in 21 albums? Never the same thing twice. Mm. Now, you mentioned that uh, an album coming up, and you can mention the name of it. Is that your last album? Well, one dropped yesterday called Codeine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not telling you to drink that shit. I'm just telling you, drank me. My album is going in. But yeah, uh, so that's 22, actually. You know, you've been in the game for a long time, from when you just came up to now. And obviously, you just said you're not saying the same shit. Do you see that progression? You know what I mean? And like, you know, did, did you ever feel like the need to, like, tap into, like, the younger generation just to, or you just stayed yourself? Nah, man, because they pants too tight. I can't fuck with that. <laughs> like, I really like, I really feel like that's the cause of yeast infection for dudes. I ain't fucking with that shit. I don't dance, and I don't, I'm going to tell you some shit that you can, you know, you can digest. Like, hey, hey, listen, I always said that if, you're, if, if your girl got to help you get your pants off hey, when man, you're trying to do something. you a girl, gotta, too. I mean. I don't really care what nobody think about it. Uh, just, hey, 2017, know. it's all right. Nah, man, your balls need to breathe, man. <laughs> You gotta have, yeah. Yo, what does Houston mean to you? Like, it mean a paycheck. Uh, <laughs> other, other than a paycheck, I mean, it's it's uh, Houston means to me, we're like the epicenter of where everybody's getting their shit from right now, and a lot of people don't want to give us our credit for it. But I mean, they stealing our shit, even down to the to the so-called uh, drug usage. So uh, Houston means everything to me, even though I don't rap. So Houston all the time. I am so Houston all the time. Listen, man, Houston is definitely in the house, man. I will say that. And that's what I love about coming to different cities, particularly even like that I'm here. You know, we got Lee Ellis in the fucking building. Got Big Angry, Zero, Bumby, Queenie's in the building, man. Anise Parker was here. Willie D's in the building, man. Like, that's what I love, to bring out, bring out the city and, and, and highlight what people do. You know, uh, Angry, cop, lawyer, judge. If, if you could say, what's, what's some of the most memorable moments that you had throughout uh, that tenure? You know, I just, I just finished a trial this week that made statewide news where a police officer, a white police officer, had accidentally shot an African-American man. And that sounds like the thing you hear all the time. This is completely different. He was asleep. He had just moved into an apartment. He grabbed for a phone. I mean, Gradford, his phone, which was alarmed, set the gun off. It went through a flat plane, went through the wall, hit a guy who happened to be African-American. 
but of course, the media spun it as another cop shooting an unarmed African American. You know, they charged him wrong. I got him a not guilty. It was a stressful trial. You know, I hope, and I said it in my closing, I hope this guy sues the fuck out of the cop and the police that gave him the gun because he was a rookie, he wasn't trained, but it wasn't a crime. You know, that's what, when you're a lawyer and you have to look at all these, it's like looking at puzzles and trying to deconstruct it. You know, you take a case that everyone said was unwinnable and you win it, but I'll be honest, I'm fucking sick of lawyering. You know, I made a bunch of money. I'd rather fuck around on the radio or fuck around on gumball. You know, and I mean, it's it's hard. You know, big angry. You're a big. Let me tell you, for the for, for the internet that are listening live, and for the internet that are listening wherever they are. First time I ever met Big Angry, this motherfucker was wearing salmon pants. I was wearing salmon. And pants. And I was like, Yo, this motherfucker six four, six five. I'm six eight. Thank six, you. Six eight. Imagine Brand a six eight person man wearing salmon pants. It, it, let's get this straight. It was the New York Yankees. Astros one game playoff. We got our ass pulled over on the way to the stadium, and the, the fucking cop made us answer New York Yankees trivia to let us go. Bun's with me. Bun, after we whooped the Yankees' ass, Pete. Bun. Yeah, no, it's 2015. It was crazy. Bun walks out with a butter knife he got in his pocket in case we get us some shit that he stole from the suite we was in. We're walking through the Bronx. Some dude, st- I am in salmon pants and a throwback. Not this throwback, but another Astro. I represent Houston. Uh, this dude just, I'm talking to English Andy, and this dude steals me with the show, knocks the shit out of me. I turn around, and you know, I don't know why I do, but oh, I got hands. I'm like, man, fuck y'all. I turn around, and I'm screaming at him, and Bun B, the ambassador to Houston, he's probably mad on telling a story, lays the motherfucker out, and it's like standing on his chest, and I'm like, yeah, I'm Bun's lawyer, so I grab Bun, I'm dragging him off. He might be a grandpa, but he's still a gangster. I don't care what the fuck y'all say. I like that, I like that line, I like that. Um, Zero, you said you're thankful to be a millionaire, but you said if you knew then what you know now, you'd be a billionaire. Right. Could you break down what, what would that? What, what's that information? I was buying a whole lot of shit that ain't mean nothing. Uh, uh, can I elaborate as my lawyer? Dude, it, it, you know, as long as the statute of limitations has passed. I was on that drink real bad. Uh, I was buying a bunch of that shit. I was smoking and, uh, you know, I mean, I got a lot of nice shit, but I, you know, I, I drunk a whole bunch of bullshit and I smoked a whole lot of, the weed is good, man. Like, I'm a, you know. In Houston, you mean? I mean, that's where I'm at. Okay. I mean, it ain't all that brown. I, I don't want to sound like an advocate or like I'm, you know, an infomercial with somebody. But, I mean, I was doing a whole lot of adolescent shit at one point in time. Sure, sure. Yeah, so. Growing up, your first inkling of rapping, who who were you inspired by? Ghetto Boys. Mm-hmm. Ghetto Boys, and, uh, and particularly uh, Willie D. Because uh, he was whooping people ass on every song. You know, he was like, bitch, your pussy ain't no more important than my dick. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I, I got an egghead, so they would try to give me no no phone number back then and shit. So so I was like, yeah, I feel this Willie really D. And they was talking about a whole bunch of political shit. When talking about political shit wasn't cool. So it was, it was you know, the ghetto boys, it was uh, street military. And you know they fucked me up, and that's why you got what you're looking at. <laughs> Say, listen, that's true. Yeah. A long, long tenure. We, we had Anise Parkhead. She was talking about, you know, dealing with the the relief efforts and stuff like that. How 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 happy are you to see the city and all the people in the city 
directly helping people. I mean, you got this relief gang that Bun is involved in, a bunch of other people trade the truth. Like, how happy are you able to see that the people are helping the people? Well, I'm happy to see that the people are helping the people. That's what I'm saying about that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it's a good thing to see. Well, it's never a good thing to see tragedy. But, I mean, what you see after the tragedy has occurred is it was amazing to me to see, you know, regardless of skin color, uh, you know, black people helping white people, white people helping black people. I mean, whatever color you was, if you was orange, yellow, whatever the fuck you was, you was helping and you was getting help. And, I mean, it was like coming together like a bra strap in the back. I mean, what better, I mean, what else can I say? It was like the the the, the slogan that's going around now, Houston together. So, I mean, I, I, I salute to that. Yo, you, you and Big Angry need a comedy show, man. I'm just realizing all these uh, uh, ad-libs that are coming out of this, you know. New York Times mentioned you as one of the most underrated rappers. You know that article that they did, right? Yeah, 2006. Yeah. Yeah. When you seen that, what, what was your response? I need a check. I would that what my response was I need a check. But I mean I know people like I know people like Bun B and I know people who are great, so how the fuck I'm not gonna be great too. I mean, you know, uh everybody down here is great, man. I mean they they, they recognize me, but they need to recognize everybody doing something down here. It's you know, it's all of us together, so but I mean I I mean I I feel that I'm I was happy as fuck when I read that. It was fucked up that I read it and I was in jail, but uh at least they brought the paper to my seal and I was able to read it. Hey, that listen, shit. being in jail is terrible. Trust me, I know. But them bringing a newspaper with you in it, that's a special motivation. You know, especially a world-renowned newspaper talking about you being one of the most... I mean, that's an up-north newspaper, too, when you think about it, to be recognizing you as one of the most underrated rappers. Man, it was cool. I mean, hey, man, you know, as I like I said, it was cool and I was glad to be recognized. And uh, you know, that was a long time ago, so I'm still trying to do my thing. And and you're staying out of the prisons too, right? Hey man, I got big angry. Hey shit. Hey, Real listen. talk, he 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 in the courtroom. I, I finally figured out why his name is that. Yo, he don't be wearing no salmon pants in the courtroom. Nah, it right? wasn't no salmon pants, but I mean, he was talking to them people like, "Hey, look, motherfucker!" I'm like, "Oh, I'm shit, damn." damn. He was like, "He's big angry for real." That's special. Yeah. Hey, listen. Um, I want to open the floor up for a couple of Q&As. Anybody got a question for Zero or uh, Big Angry? State your name, where you're from. Will from uh, San Antonio, Texas. As a Texas legend, you keep, you stay, keep putting music out. What keeps you inspired in, like, 2017? Well, you know, the first of the month keep coming back. So, <laughs> so uh, you got to pay that shit. So if the first keep coming back, why the fuck should not? So there it is. I'm trying to meet the first. That's all it is. I'm, I'm just being real. Yo, yo, make some noise for that, man. Make some noise for that. State your name, where you're from? Um, I'm Vanessa Rodriguez from Houston. And uh, I have a question for, I feel a little uncomfortable saying Mr. Big Angry. It's Charles, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Mr. Charles. Or, or just Charles. <laughs> Charles, uh, since you're involved in the... In both worlds, right? The legal world right. and, and the actual, you know, the, the real world. Do you see Houston or Texas making a change, a positive change towards getting away from the prisons for profit programs? 
You know, I don't think as a whole that America is doing enough to get away from prison for profit. I was encouraged by uh, Kim Ogg's program to stop making minor marijuana arrests. I don't think it goes nearly far enough. I'm an an advocate and have been for many years of of radicalism when it comes to the war on drugs. Um, what, what What we've done in America is we've created a system that cannibalizes our intellectual capital by making people felons for merely possessing shit. You know, if, if you are shooting and killing people or robbing people or molesting kids, unless you hire me, fuck you, go to prison, you know. But if, if you know, the, the thing with, with drugs is we're all trying to get high one way or the other, you know. And a lot of it's self-destructive, but if you're hurting yourself in America, you should be able to hurt yourself. We were The foundation, the firmament this country was built on was liberty. Of course, liberty just for people that look like me and Lee, but uh, we have progressed and evolved as a country is liberty for everyone, and that's the lip service we give. But this war on drugs, it infects everyone, but it only impacts the poor the worst. Like a rich kid might fuck up and get busted by the wrong cop, but you're not like when I was at Harvard, I've been a policeman already, and I'm at Harvard Law School. Motherfuckers just walking around fucking doing drugs like it's nothing because they're in these hallowed, protected halls, right? That's why Bush could do coke in college because he was at Yale and Harvard. But when you're on the, when you're, you know, in Mo City, you got cops up your ass constantly, you know, and it's fucked up. I mean, we just need to get out of that business. And until we get out of the business, no one's doing enough. Houston might be doing a little better. But fuck no, not nearly enough. Amen, amen. Man, that was great chopping it up with the one and only Charles Big Angry and the one and only Zero. Man, just like, yo, I, I love I love the audience, how they get in tune with everything too, man. Like, that's what's dope about doing live shows. You know, and the way we, the way the Premium Pete Show does it is just really like bring people together like a networking event. Come on, man. You know what we're doing out here. Now I'm in Houston, man. I gotta bring out some more heavy hitters and somebody I truly admire, the legendary Willie D. Come on. Willie D is another man full of so much knowledge. I mean, just an OG, man. Ghetto boys, just all that, okay? And we speak about Willie D being a Golden Gloves champ. What? Willie D got hands? Yes, sir. Investing in real estate and Bitcoin. What? Willie D on that Bitcoin? You gotta listen. And Chuck D. Telling him about the internet. Man, and of course, touring. The one and only, the legendary, Willie D on the live Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. So a lot of people say the youth is the future, but they won't invest in the youth. You know, they, they, won't, they won't come back and, and, and give the game to the youth. They won't teach. They won't coach. They just like to say that shit because it sounds good. So... I found myself like being one of those people who was just minding my own business as far as just taking care of my kids, my, my nieces and nephews, my friends who have kids who, who, who I can access and I deal with and help them with their issues. But there's a whole like band of, of, of youngsters out there who are not getting the information. And, like, when we stopped making the records, and a lot of the guys in my generation stopped making those records where we was talking about something and giving the game, uh, a lot of those youngsters lost their way. And it was just happening. And I found myself, like, one of the dudes that, that was just 
complaining. And I'm not even a complainer. I'm, I'm the type of dude that, like, I like that action, you know? I like to do, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, what's the problem? Okay, this is what we got to do to solve it. So I was like, you know, where they at? They on that internet. So let me get on this internet. and Let me get up on it. Yeah, let me get on this internet and put that game out there. So I just started just, I just started doing what I do, speak. Let, you know, just just sharing my thoughts and my experience. You know, uh, for those that don't know, you're a Golden Gloves champ. Yes, sir. Growing up, Golden Gloves champ. What made you pick rap over boxing? Yeah, this is real, real simple. I was, I started boxing. The first time I walked into a boxing gym, I hit this dude, the best fighter in, in the gym. He was like two weight classes above me. I hit him in the nose. He started bleeding profusely, and the trainer got mad at me for hitting his prize fighter. But everybody else was getting excited, and uh, I felt good about it, man. I felt real good that I had bust that boy up. And then uh, about two weeks later, I had my first fight, and I knocked the dude out in the first round, and they gave me a trophy. And, and grown people were, like, cheering and stuff, and... It was a couple of little cute girls around the ring. They was cheering. I was like, man, this feel good, you know, like, because I had, I was fighting people already, but every time I fight, I get in trouble. So this was the first time I ever put hands on somebody and, and grown folks cheered. They, they was like, yeah, good job. You know, oh, man. I was like, damn, I fell in love with it. So I started, I started boxing because of that. I mean, I really got serious about boxing and then, Rap came when I turned about 15, rap came along. And I found that I was really good at boxing. I mean, really good at rapping the way I was at boxing. I was really, really good at it. And I thought, I said, man, you know, the girls love boxing. The girls love rapping. They love money. I can make a lot of money in boxing. I can make a lot of money in rapping. But after I get through rapping and I come off the stage, I don't have a headache. So that's what made me choose uh, rapping over boxing. Sure, sure. You know, Ghetto Boys went on tour last year. Is that, is that the final tour ever well, actually, of Ghetto Boys? Actually, the last tour was two years ago. Okay, two. Got uh, it. Okay. Damn, that was yeah. that fast then. Yeah, that that might be it, man. I mean, you know, why, why, why? time is the only manifestation of truth, but that might be it for me. What, do you, what, why is that? It's difficult, man. You know, shit, difficult. I mean, it's just it's just very difficult to to get us all on the same page, and you know, where is Bushwick, man? I don't shit. I have no idea. Shit, shit. Close your eyes and spin around and point. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> 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 yeah. But so so doing behind the scenes, doing script writing, those are things that you that you find yourself like loving now cuz you know people people don't realize you got to evolve yeah. and you have done that, you know. Creative creatively, that's what I'm doing. You know, but I'm always doing my other businesses, various businesses. You know, I still invest in real estate. I've been doing that for 25 years. I've been, and a lot of people don't know too, like, real, it's been real estate for me that's kept me afloat all these years. 
Like, I, I get down on real estate, like, really get down on it. Like, if I would have been counting on the rap game, music, just doing that exclusively, yeah, I would have took that pistol and put it into somebody's life by now. I'm serious, because I got to get that money, man. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like, it was that real estate, man. I've, 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 I've done real well in real estate. Sure, o- opening your mind. Uh, I wanna- Not just real estate. Another thing, too, is, is the... Um, Right now, I'm, I'm investing in bitcoins. Okay, you yeah. know that people that's, fucking that's, with bitcoins. That's that's that's. Listen, man, if I had a, about four years ago, I had an opportunity to do some business with this dude, and we just couldn't work out the contracts right. We couldn't get the, we couldn't get it to where both of us were were cool with it. So we went our separate ways, and I just let it go. And year after year, I would hear people talk about Bitcoins about every three months. People, some, somebody would mention it seriously. And I'd keep on just blowing it off, keep on blowing it off. Because Bitcoin, to me, was like really, really strange. Kind of like when, when Chuck D first told me about the Internet. You know, Chuck D told me about the Internet. Wait, wait, wait. when you say Chuck D told you about the Internet, Chuck D. what does that even mean? Like, what do you say? Chuck D told me about the internet. Me and Chuck D was at a fight in New York. And he's like, say, Willie, I'm telling you, man, they got this thing called the internet. And it's going to change the world. I mean, like, in 20 years, half the people in America are going to have computers. And I'm like, like, that shit was scrambling my brain. I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't even... I, I couldn't even like um, I couldn't fathom what he was saying. I, I, sure, I know sure. I know Chuck is smart, so I know he's when he's talking. I know he know what he's talking about, but I could I couldn't grasp it. And he was like, "Man, they got this thing called the internet, man." And you know, in twenty years, half the people in America gonna have computers. And I'm thinking a computer costs a lot of damn money right now. And he say half. That mean that. People in the hood going to have computers? Hell no. That's, that's what I'm thinking. And I'll be damned, man. That shit took off, man. I was like, every time I think about it, man, I kick myself. But th- that's one of those things, though, I think that a lot of times in our community, because of where we come from, uh, we're afraid to take a leap of faith on things that are unseen. And so I think... The way you get in a lot of times is getting in on the front end of things and taking a chance. Mark Cuban took a chance. He only spent like $10,000 to start his Internet-based company, and he turned that into $100 million, and then so on and so on. Uh, Anybody got a question for Willie D? Right there, right there. Stay your name name where you're from. Hello? Yes. There you go. Avery, like a very nice guy once again. Love your YouTube channel. Just want to know. Thank you, man. What is your favorite verse that you've ever done? Oh, wow. Damn. Damn, dude. That's a good question. You know what, man? You know what, man? You know, that, that's got to be it because that changed the world for me, man. It changed my life. You know, so, and you know how some people get tired of, you know, pre- performing that song that they've, they've they, you know, that, that, that. That signature song, I'm like, man, fuck that, man. I mean, that motherfucker opened some doors for me. I mean, it, it opened some doors. It 
set up trust funds for my kids, put them through college, you know, <laughs> it took me around the world. I met people that I would have never met before, you know, so, yeah, I, I got I to gotta say that. Next to that, though, a close, a close next to that is every single verse from Ballhead Hoes. <laughs> that's it. Hey, listen, that's, that, that's what it's about. Uh, stay your name where you're from. How you doing, Willie? My name is Marco from Houston. And, uh, Willie, for the last few years, you had a column in the Houston Press. And uh, now with the Houston Press, with the staff being let go, and they're going to straight digital, um, the L.A. Weekly just did the same thing. They sold off the L.A. Weekly to somebody else. Um, we don't know what's happening. They, they fire all the editorial staff. Things are happening with uh, media nowadays, and it's changing. You know, on one side, we have um, attention spans are so small that people aren't reading these great stories and exposés of keeping the city honest. But then you also have this, quote-unquote, fake news Where's the lane for somebody like you or somebody like me who cares about our city? Where are we going to reach the people that we need to reach? Internet. Yeah? Internet, homie. Like, you do photography, right? Everybody know you. You got a following. People like you. Get on social media and, t and let people see what you do. Get you a YouTube channel. People love photography. Especially women. It's something about photography, a cute picture and shit. Women just lose their minds. I'll be looking at some of the shit my sister like and shit. She just like, she liked optics, you know? Like, that's your thing. That's your lane. Do that. Put it in front of people, man, and they'll respond. Man, that boy Willie D is a funny dude, man. But he's definitely a, a, an OG for sure. And I, I admire and appreciate him and was honored to have him come sit with me on the live Premium Pete show in Houston at WeWork in Houston. Man, let me tell you something. Being on tour is, is, is with a podcast is almost like unheard of to me. And I'm so happy that we were one of the, the first podcast to ever do it in a WeWork space. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to open the doors. And more importantly, I'm proud that every city we touch down, we open that, that atmosphere to come and network, to rub shoulders with different artists and athletes and entrepreneurs. So, like I said, keep it locked for when we do more that is coming this year. Okay, I was so excited to do this, and it, and a lot of these guests, and a lot of and, and and just like, it wouldn't be even possible without my brother, my friend, my business partner, my uh, good fella, the one and only, the legendary Bum B. And I'll tell you one thing, man, Bum boarded up his wife Queenie, and we just chopped it up in his hometown, H Town, and we talked about everything, man. We talked about his most memorable moments traveling. Or being in the studio. Things he learned from the one and only Pimp C. Relief Gang, which has been so instrumental. And Hand to Hand, which is the telethon that raised millions of dollars for all the hurricane disasters. In Puerto Rico and, 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 and Houston. and Man, the Relief Gang, that, that Trader Truth and him and a bunch of people that are going home to home. Man, that's one thing dope about like Bun. Forget about only rapping. Dude's a professor. Dudes over here uh, going going house to house, making sure people are okay, recovering from the from the hurricane, not waiting for people like the, you know, just doing it themselves. The community helping the community. That's why I love my brother, raising over sixty six million for Harvey in Puerto Rico. Actually, man, we 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 tell a dope story about the international players anthem and the video. 
his favorite verses, and some of his stories when Pimp went to jail. Let me tell you something. It's anybody who knows Bun knows is a good dude, a great dude, a good friend, a great person for hip hop. To me, I always consider him like the uncle of hip hop. Man, what a great night, and 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 it couldn't be nothing without my brother Bun B in the building. So let's get to it. Bun B and Queenie on the live Premium Pete show in Houston. Let's get to it. Chichi. Known together as the Trillionaires. Collectively. Now, let me ask you something, Bun. It's funny, too. Sitting down with you every time, it's like, I feel like we have done so much. It's like, how much more do we have to talk about? But life, there's always things to talk. You think about the word trill, and we spoke about this. To the day that you embraced it till now, has it ever changed for you? Meaning that word, that meaning, that feeling? No, no. I mean, I think when I was young, I had a little more intensity behind it and trying to prove that I was that. And now as I'm older, I, I just know already that I embody that and I don't have that to prove, you know. I like what Willie D said. He said, you, did he say you're a grandpa, but you're a gangster? He said that? Yeah, I think that was angry. angry oh, angry, said angry said that. Well, Willie, Willie, Willie would agree. Willie would agree. Uh, Queen, are you, are you joining us, Queen, or are you just sitting uh, to look at us? Because I, I got some talk to talk with you. Okay, you talk right into the mic. There you go, Queenie. There you go. We got yeah, it's on. Hey, is her mic on? Talking to the mic, Queenie. There you go. There, it's on. Talking to bust bust a sixteen right quick. There you go. You ready? Don't beat the mic up to death. Just talk into the mic. Okay, Queen. I'm gonna have to edit that part for the people who listen at home, so they don't hear no speakers there. So, Queen. Oh, what, are you done? No. <laughs> well, first of all, let's start this straight. You, you, this Where did you grow up? You grew up in where? Third Ward. Okay, you got to put that mic to it. Because yeah. <laughs> the people that um, he's recording, they can't hear Oh, Third Ward, Texas. Okay. And, <laughs> 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 okay, you know what? We're going to give you a second to think about that, and then we're going to come right back to you. What? No, no, no. We're going to come right back to you. We're going to get you right in, into the mood of uh, It's talking. never going to be right, so just <laughs> okay. Just do what you're going to do. She's never going to be comfortable. You obviously have been around a while with the movement of UGK. What would you say is some of your most memorable moments of traveling or, or success or things that you've seen? Traveling around PMC, learning in the studio what music really mean and how much he put into making a beat and then sitting there holding a conversation with him. Unbelievable. You know, when you talk about somebody like Pimp C, you know, what would you say that you learned from him over the years? What I learned? Yeah, what you learned from Not him. Just something care. that you took away. What would you say? Not to care what anybody thinks. And to do what you want to do because only you can make yourself go further. Drop that wisdom. Bun, you know, you, as we talk about him and, and somebody who was definitely did whatever the fuck he wanted to do, <laughs> did anyone ever get to him? Like, you know how she's saying, like, you know, oh, you know, don't let anybody, you know, tell you different. Sometimes we can live that life, but then there's that one person or one thing that gets you annoyed. Do you remember that? 
For him or for, for Pimp, me? For Pimp. Um, and you. No, I think the last thing that really got under his skin was that I can remember was um, The Roots had made a video. They made a song called What They Do. And the video was like kind of making fun of different kinds of hip-hop, like making fun of Southern hip-hop video, making fun of a West Coast video, making fun of like the typical like hood videos at the time. And he felt like The Roots was dissing too short. Like, because they had shot, like, some slow motion stuff. In short, it just did, like, a slow motion video. And Pimp was always more upset when people dissed his friends more than if somebody would say something about him. He would get very offended if you had a problem with his friends. So he felt very, um, very adamantly that for some reason, you couldn't talk him out of it, that the roots was dissing too short. And so, so you had to, you were telling him... <clears throat> I'm like, they dissing everybody. It's a general thing. Like, they kind of shooting. I don't give a damn. They, they trying to make fun of the OG. Fuck them dudes. And, um, and he made a comment in a song. You know, he basically dissed the roots. And I remember meeting Tariq. And Tariq was like, yo, what's up with Pimp? What was, what's, what's wrong? Like, and I explained it to him. And he was like, nah, it was just a general. I said, yo, you can't, you can't talk him out of that. Once he had an idea of something, you couldn't talk him out of it. So I would just kind of figure out a way to go with it at some point. That would have been a crazy beef. Questlove would have pulled out a pick. Jack, you know. Pimp would have came out with the mink. Nah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm only thinking. He would have blocked it with the mink like a Superman role. Listen, you know, Texas is, you represent everything Texas. You know, um, I want to speak about the Relief Gang. And, you know, we spoke about it with Anise. We spoke about it, you know, with, with a bunch of other guests that came on tonight. But... How you directly were there? I remember seeing you and Queen going to people's houses. What was that to give them money for like proms? Was it or, or, or what was it about? Well, that was different. That was that was like the after, you know, okay. like because that was like after the water started to dry up and people started dealing with mold and stuff. Um, you know, people had sent and donated a lot of money to um, Queen's GoFundMe to help people, and so that was her way of going back out and distributing the funds that people had given to her. And she wanted to make sure to post it, not to, like, publicize it, but to let people who had donated money see where working. that money was going. Because that becomes a big issue when people give money to organizations or for different reasons, for different things. They want to know where that money is going, and most times people don't get to see it. So for her, it was it was a big deal that she went out and showed exactly, you know, how she was distributing the money as she saw, you know, specific needs. And Queen is always... Uh, her heart is always with uh, the elderly and the children. And so that's that's usually where we end up in those situations, looking to help children and elderly people. And so that's, you know, her thing was to find kids who were getting ready to graduate but couldn't afford, the you know, the senior fees and senior dues and stuff like that. And so they wouldn't miss homecoming and they wouldn't miss prom. They wouldn't have to worry about that because, you know, being young, being 17, 18, years old in America right now is rough enough, you know, without having to worry about certain things. And we can't alleviate everybody's worries and everybody's problems, but that was something that, you know, we felt like we could handle on a certain level. So we picked high schools and, you know, and the, the, the zones that were affected more and went directly to counselors and different people and, and asked them, you know, we want to find students who have been severely affected by the storm and try to help them out. 
You know, the reason why I mentioned that for is because it's like, you see what happened in Houston, and it's like people didn't wait for no, you know, the, 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 the officials to do what they had to do. People, like, that's powerful. Like, I remember 9-11, man, and, and, you know, I happened to be uptown that day, and the plane crashed right into the tower, and I thought I was bugging out until there was smoke and dust particles all over right. my jacket. And I could not make it home that night. You know, literally, we had to uh, stay in different, like, office buildings that were uptown, like, because we could not make it home. And I remember how much 9-11 brought people in New York City together. Because New York City, you keep in mind, if the light turns green and you don't go, motherfuck you. You understand? So people don't, people are very vicious to each other. So when right. you see people, like care for each other and people come and help each other with shovels and, and, and socks and, and clothes and and that was an amazing time for the city man so to see something like you know Houston go through that and and again I keep on pushing how direct direct connect you know speak about not only that but even hand to hand like how Scooter Braun you did yeah. a telethon with everybody in the world where most people maybe even people I'm sure are listening not only live listening wherever they are now will not even know that you helped put that together, the Hand to Hand Foundation yeah, that yeah. raised over how much? Uh, at last count, uh, we raised over sixty-six million for Harvey and for Puerto Rico. Hey, man, let's make some noise for that, man. But it was, you know, unfortunately, Houston had, you know, we had a very clear view of what happened to people in New Orleans. During during their situation, we saw how it devastated their homes, devastated their communities, how people lost their lives. And a lot of the people displaced, you know, by Katrina ended up in Houston. So we kind of saw what the after effects were of people being displaced and not being able to go back home. So kind of having that in your frontal lobe, when all of this started happening, people just started kind of moving in that way, you know. And for us, it was rough because we... We weren't here when it happened, and then trying to get back, seeing what was going on, and trying to get back to help people. It took a while just to find a way to get back into Houston, and then by the time we got to Houston, it's when Port Arthur started flooding, and they were underwater, and then it took a day or two to find a way into to get into Port Arthur. It was, um, it was rough, but, I, I mean, you know, we didn't have any real structural damage at the house. We didn't have any water damage, and... You know, so for us, it was like I always say, kind of like survivor's remorse, like being in a house that's dry and you got electricity and you got food and you can move around and you're looking at the TV and people are down bad and you're looking at social media and, you know, people are begging for help. You know, it's, it's like you just, as a human being, you felt compelled and obligated to get up and do something, you know. So we were lucky that they had other people like Trey, like Mr. Rogers, Mo Bangs, King Karan. People like that um, who were, you know, devoting themselves and, and to a certain aspect are still devoting themselves to to helping people, just trying to help people. You know, moving on to music or just even just the, the culture and the lifestyle, how important is it in Houston to get a cosign in, 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 in the music business, particularly hip-hop? To get... Um, like uh, just a musical coast. I think in any city, anybody trying to get in, it helps a little bit. But, you know, it's it's like I tell artists, like you can go and buy a verse from somebody, but 
that just makes their fans listening to their verse on your album. That doesn't mean they're listening to you. But I think it's important for people to, to, to show that people from where they're from fuck with their movement and fuck with what they're doing. I think that's important for young artists. Like if you're in Houston and you go into Atlanta, um, people in Atlanta know who's popping in Houston and they're going to want to know if those people fuck with you. So on that level, I guess that helps in a bit. But in the long run, um, you still got to find a way for you to connect with people um, on a level because otherwise you just dick riding somebody else's fans as long as you can, and that's not really going to get you what you're trying to get, which is your own fans and your own movement. You would rather have 5,000 people that fuck with you, that will spend money with you. You know, if you got 5,000 people that like you, that's willing to spend $5 a month, that's $25,000. That's good money for anybody in this room. Right? Everybody thinks they need a million dollars to be a millionaire. You don't. You just need to fuck with 50,000 people 20 times. <laughs> you know, if you want to look at it that way. Um, but it's not, people say they want money, but most people are lying about that. They really just want to be famous and want to be known, and they believe that money comes with that. But that's a huge misconception. You can be famous and broke all day. I, trust me. I've been famous and broke several times. It's not a, it's not hard to do at all, really. It's 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 as easy as breathing. You don't even have to try hard to be broke. Um, period in life. But again, cosigns they don't get you as far as they as people think. I turned down, which my wife didn't understand a lot. But I would turn down a lot of features because people thought that you know once I get this verse from you, we're gonna do this song, we're gonna do Pepsi Hook, and I'm in the door. And I I, I don't even want to take your money because you don't really know what you're doing. Like, you got this all twisted. You think you just finna ride my coattails into the the sunset, you know what I'm saying, and to stardom and fame. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, that shit don't even work like that, you know. And it's better things sometimes I have to tell artists that you could do with your money, you know, because you're going to come back like, what happened? You know, we did the song. I thought that, you know, we was talking about swinging and syrup and candy paint and all that shit. I thought we was for the, you know, go to the top of the charts with this shit, but... You didn't tell nobody who you are. Nobody had time to know your story and get to know who you are. You know, it's the difference between Avengers and Justice League. You know, when you... I, li I like that ending on that. You know, when you think about um, International Plays Anthem, you think about the, just a video alone. You know, when Andre get married, you think about Big Boy, Pimp, you. Had, for, and I'm sure you told this story, but I don't think we. I spoke to you about this story. But how did that song even come about um wow that's a crazy story um it was all-star weekend in la and we had did a sampler which you don't really do that anymore but we had did a sampler for those that don't know it's basically you would take snippets of like six seven songs off your album put them on a cd and pass it out to people so that people could get a feel for what direction your album was going in so we had done a sampler for the UGK album, and at the time, the player's anthem that we had recorded was with 3-6 Mafia, but they weren't on the, the, the piece of music that was on the sampler. They had ended up just winning the Oscar for, um, for the, the pimp movie. I can't think of it right now. I don't want to disrespect. But, um, yeah, Hustle and Flow. They had just won the Oscar, so they were trying to renegotiate their deal with their record company as artists and got into it with the company, so they they because they produced the song they let them keep the you know that we were able to keep them on as the producers but they wouldn't clear them as artists 
So we ended up with half a song. Well, while the sampler went out in L.A., Big Boy and Andre both got it separately. So I get a call from Andre. Andre's like, I like this song. I want to rap to it. Is it too late to get on the song? And I'm like, actually, no, it's not. It's perfect time. He said, okay, but I don't want to rap over the drums. I just want to rap over the sample. Like, okay, cool, whatever. That's your, that's, you know, Andre 3000 is a very eclectic individual, sees things differently. Um, the next day I get a call from Big Boy. Big Boy's like, yo, I like this song. I want to rap to it, but I just want to rap to the drums. I don't want to rap to everything else. So they both got the song. They both wanted to rap on it. They both wanted to do the exact opposite of what the other was doing on the song. And because of the fact that Outkast was on Jive Records as UGK was on Jive Records, having both of them on the record, we didn't have to even clear it. So eventually both of them got on the record, and they didn't even know that the other was getting on the record. So we had to, like, figure out, like, at some point we got to tell them it's it's an Outkast record. And so I called Andre first. I knew Big wouldn't really have a problem. I called Dre, and Dre was like, cool. That's fine with me. I don't have a problem with it, but you know I'm not doing no video, right? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't have a problem doing a song or whatever, but I'm not doing no video. And I was like, okay. And so the song ended up going in and on the album, and it became a big deal, and people were like, yo, we, this has to be a single. And I'm like, it's going to be a single, but Dre doesn't want to do the video. So we had to try to figure out a way of convincing Andre to do the video. So what we did, we went to Andre and said, look, we will give you full creative control of this video. You can do whatever you want to do with this video, you know, whatever the budget, whoever you want to direct, he says. So he says, okay, if, if we get Brian Barber to direct the video and I write the treatment, I'll do the video. And so that's the video that you see uh, for Players Anthem. That was his idea of having this wedding, which the song kind of really went there anyway. It wasn't like a drastic, like, script that he had to put together anyway of really like redefining the song and the visual just you know getting married and your boys don't want you to get married you know stay a player like us kind of thing um we're gonna open up i want to do a q a anybody got a question for bum right there uh you got the mic isaiah you already knew. okay you already knew. okay state your name where you from again? once again it's avery like a very nice guy you can follow me at carlton banks oh yeah yeah i think sure you can. just i think you just asking questions to push your Social media. Oh, it's true. It's the answer. It's true. I'm, I'm trying to do that. Um, Go for it. Just a question. It is true. Um, I feel like you watched Jay on Big Pimpin'. That's why the Milk Box version is out. There you go. But between Murder and uh, Big Pimpin', what's your favorite verse? Um, it's, it's hard to say because they both represent different things. Because... Um, I would probably pick murder if I had to choose one personally, but I don't make good decisions all the time. Big Pimpin', Big Pimpin' is really a song that really opened up the most doors for UGK, just being honest, you know what I'm saying? It introduced us to an entirely different fan base. It's like my international calling card. So I can go in any city on the, in the planet, and I've done it most in a lot of countries, and say that I'm the guy that made that song and I will have a frame of reference for people. Um, but just for personal accomplishment, as a writer, I think Bar for Bar, Murders, is one of the best verses I've ever written. I still won't say it's my best verse because I got verses that most people have never heard. I did a song with an artist named Seagram um, from Oakland. 
uh, rest in peace, the Seagram. Will would know who I'm talking about. And um, I did a verse on that album that's Ice Water that most people never really, you can't even, you can't Google it or anything. You can't find this song at all. Like, it's out of print. It's one of the few songs that you can't find at all, and it's one of my best verses. And I, I really like, um, for myself, like, the last song that Pimp and I wrote together was Heaven. Um, on the UGK album, and that's that verse has a lot of meaning for its, you know, for obvious reasons. But like, just as a lyricist, as a more importantly, as a Southern lyricist, um, "Murder" is the verse that most of the rappers that people look up to now come to me and say, "Yo, that was the bar that I was trying to set for myself." People like Killer Mike and Ti, Ludacris, you know, they will tell me that that's that was the bar that they felt they had to live up to if they wanted to say they were a lyricist from the South. If you just wanted to make a rap song from the South, that's fine. But if you wanted to say you had lyrics, then you had to be trying to go for it in that sense. And when I, when I wrote it, I didn't even think, I thought it was the hardest rhyme I had wrote at that point. I didn't think it would, it would be regarded as highly as it was. Because it's very personal. There's a lot of shit in there that I'm talking about that only a few people actually know that I'm talking about. So, Hey, hey um, if you want further explanation on that, I remember on the episode we did a couple of months ago, you explained how then you, you didn't sleep all night. Remember you went underneath? Yeah, the- yeah, I was fucked up when I wrote Murder. Okay. Very, very fucked up. Well, hung, more hungover than anything. Okay, wait, you got a quick... What's your name? Where are you from? Uh, my name is Will. I'm from San Antonio, Texas. I've been following UGK since I can remember. I'm barely 25, but I've been following for 20 years. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. Hey, thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> you should have had better supervision. Blame, <laughs> blame my cousins. But I've always wondered, what was the most pivotal moment for you and UGK as well? Probably Pimp going to prison. Because it, there was no level of certainty at that point. None of us involved knew what would happen from that point, right? Because there hadn't really been that kind of a separation, like, in the group to have to sustain that. There was no precedent for, like, somebody going to jail and then coming back to the group. And in, in between time, what was the group even going to be? You know, it took a while to even figure out what I was going to do. I went through a lot of personal strife and strain at that time. I literally had to find God to, you know, to really figure out my way through that and to kind of maneuver my way through that. But the one thing I did that I think actually was, you know, it was the truest thing I could do was I made it, I, I didn't make it about me. I made it all about pimp. It didn't make any sense for me to be like, oh, woe is me. You know, what am I going to do? At least I'm out on the street with my family sleeping in my bed every night, right? So there's no feeling sorry for me in this situation. So for my thing, I just put everything on. Let's just make this something collectively, you know, that he can come back home to and be received. I mean, I I wasn't worried about him being, you know, more famous or us being more famous as a group. I just wanted people to not forget who he was as a person and as an artist so that when he came home that we didn't have to, do like a reintroduction and everybody assumed that the group was over that so that's where the UGK for life came from that's where the free pimp C movement came from and you know most people don't really know a lot of that I was seeing what they were doing with Tony Yayo at the time 
they were doing the free Yayo campaign at the time. So I just, you know, saw, M, you know, when M wore the shirt and was like saying free Yayo, I was like, okay, that's that's a move right there. So I'm going to try free Pimp C and that kind of thing. And then we just threw UGK for life on there for good measure because, I mean, even record companies, other artists was like, well, that's it, man. It's like, you got to go solo now. And I'm like, no, I don't. I can make a solo record, but I ain't got to go solo. I'm doing a solo record just by the fact the other dude just ain't here to rap on the songs. But um, that, to me, was probably the most pivotal moment in UGK because that ended up defining um, me as a solo artist, defining the relationship between me and Pimp, which made it deeper than just the music and just the surface-level shit and made people feel better about investing, having invested all those years up to that point in UGK and seeing that, you know, where they stayed down for each other and everything we felt that they represented in music, they're now representing in real life, too. And and when he came home, they, they took care of him, you know? Name where you from? What's your name where you from? Sir? Uh, my name is Dobeezy, Southeast Beast. I used to okay. Texas. But, um, yeah, now I heard a story, so I just want to know, get any confirmation. Was there any truth to it, half truth or whatnot? Um, I had heard when uh, International Players was done, um, when Andre sent his verse back, that Pimp Pimp felt some type of way about him changing the beat or just wanting to go um, – Solely on that, and when he got it back, he felt some type of way, and everyone around him told him it actually made his verse sound harder when the drums came in. That was a story I had seen on a blog or some type of uh, interview I had seen, and I just wanted to know: was there any truth to it or anything with a uh, international that is, player? That is literally the first time I've ever heard. Hey, uh, it was the first time about. I heard it as well, but uh, it was a reliable, you know, uh, source. I can't remember what. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, was I mean, it's, it's only two people at UGK. <laughs> no, no, not so person. I, I mean, as far as I don't uh, know how more reliable you gonna get than than that. I feel like it was it was something where I seen an interview on the Breakfast Club, something and someone was explaining. It was some it's interview or something, whatever it was. I don't know, but I did it's, hear it. It's, and it's, it was it's, like, it's a lot of people try to give themselves a lot more proximity to UGK than they maybe had right. certain times. Um, people tell stories in a way that they see it mm. or the way that, that, that maybe um, incorporates them mm. into the story. Uh, that was never an issue. When Andre 3000 sent you a verse, you don't really, you don't argue that. Pimp was not stuck on himself as an artist or anything like that. As a lyricist, now producers, sometimes he would have issues with beats like Big Pimp and he didn't like the track at all, but I think that's just a particular it was, and to be fair, the beat for Big Pimpin' was very awkward. It was very odd. It wasn't unrappable, obviously, but it was not like anything that was happening at the time. And it didn't really have a lot of bottom in it. Anything that didn't have a lot of bass in it was going to rub him the wrong way off top. Um, there was a lot of times I would try to play music in his car, and the shit would not have a lot of bass and he would just look at me and be like, Pee Wee, what, what are you playing in my car? I didn't put this system in this car for you to play this shit that ain't got no, no knock to it. And uh, Pee Wee. That was, that was the name that Pimp had. We, we didn't like calling each other Bumby and Pimp C. So he would call me Pee Wee. That's, that's, uh, that's not your business. What'd you call him? That's not your now, I, I would call him Chad most of the time because I knew him as Chad. He didn't like 
because people like people know my real name is Bernard, right? So a motherfucker walk up to me and be like, "Hey, Bernard!" Like, we wasn't in homeroom together. You don't know me like that. You know, people because I know people that know me as Bernard, classmates of people like that. That that's all they've ever called me, and so a lot of time, you know that. Don't call me Bernard. Hi, Bernard. The only person that calls me Bernard really is my wife. And when she called me Bernard, I done done something wrong. <laughs> Bernard! Get your Cause, ass over here. Because it's a lot easier to say bun, right? It's just very short. It's one syllable. You don't have to stretch it up. You know. You know. Uh, Did that answer your question, Dopey's? Okay. Big Bun B and Queenie, man, that was great, man. I love, I love chopping it up, man, with them, especially when that international players anthem came on. Woo wee, place was jumping. Let me tell you, man. Again, I want to really thank WeWork in Houston. Okay, if you're from Houston, go check them out. People who don't even know, say people who listen are like, well, what the fuck is WeWork? Google it. Look it up. It's a creative workspace. It's where people go, small businesses, big businesses. Like entrepreneurs, freelancers, if you think that's something you're interested in, check out WeWork. Tell them Premium Pete sent you. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, Grillo's Pickles. Head on over to grillospickles.com, find out more. Go to jasonmark.com, find out about them. Best shoe cleaner in the game. And I want to thank you to them and WeWork for making me and allowing me to go on tour. Okay, Houston was so dope, man. It, it, it just really was. And, and again, I want to shout out Ronnie, the whole team over in WeWork, Houston. Again, my guy Eric Morgan, DJ Demo. Shouts to DJ Demo on the ones and twos. He provided the, the ill sounds for the night, man. I mess with DJ Demo. Marco from Houston, man. Ill on the camera. Ill on the camera, I tell you that. Listen, I was honored to provide the atmosphere for the night in Houston. And it was a special night, the live Premium Pete show in Houston. Internets, I can't wait until I come to a city near you. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I want to again shout out to the former mayor of Houston, Anise Parker, Charles Big Angry Adams, and the legendary Zero. Willie D, shouts to you, my brother. And my family member, Friends Become Family. Hashtag Friends Become Family. My brother Bun B and his wife Queenie. That was the live Premium Pete show. And we work in Houston. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next episode. Cheer. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Again, that email is thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the Premium Peach Show? Email me at thepremiumpeatshow at gmail.com, and let's get working, okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms or podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and we'll see you next episode. Cheers.